open up your Bibles. We are going to, like I said, um, start kind of a new series. I want to talk to you um, this summer about uh, just several topics that are kind of on my heart or I feel like are on the headlines. So uh, we'll kind of just kind of rotate between what topics we cover. Um, for, exa- for example, a lot's going around in our world these days about um, social justice, right? A, a lot's going on uh, in our world today about your identity, your, your sexual identity, your personal identity. I want to talk about that this summer. And, and I think it's also important that we talk about things like why church membership matters or church gathering matters. I think we all are experiencing um, kind of, wow, this is what it feels like to not gather as a church. So it's a good time to talk about that. We're going to talk about purity. We're going to talk about wisdom in the gray areas of life. I want to talk about how to grow in spiritual maturity, and I also want to talk about cell phone to name a few of many topics that I have in mind. So please show up every Thursday. We're, we're excited to um, put this evening together. Um, before we get into that, all those topics, though, kind of as a preparatory topic or as a kind of foundational topic, tonight I want to talk to you about the Word of God. Matter of fact, I started studying tonight, or to, not tonight, I didn't start studying tonight. I started studying for this past, or this, this message tonight, and I wanted to give you a message about why I believe in the Bible, like the authority of the Bible, the evidences for the Bible, um, why I am so sure, and I am very sure in the authority and the certainty of the Scriptures. But as I was studying that, I, I was compelled by something else, something that I wanted to um, bring before you before I talked about um, evidences for the authority of God. So we'll talk about that next week. If you want to talk about that, come back next week. That would be great. But tonight, I have kind of a different goal. My, my goal isn't just to kind of um, convince you that the Bible is authoritative and convince you that it is the Word of God. I believe that. And I will hopefully prove that to you next week. Um, tonight, my goal isn't even really to uh, produce guilt in you or condemnation or accuse you. My goal tonight is motivation. I want to motivate you. I want to create in you a desire for something. I, I, I think if I was to speak on the Bible, all of you would be instantly convicted about how much you want to spend more time in the Bible. So tonight, I want to talk about uh, a ways, or I want to give you motivations so that you can have a devouring desire for God's Word. Here's my goal. You leave this place talking very kindly to your friends. You get in your car, and you have a great conversation with your parents, but you're really excited to get home for another reason. You get home, you kind of talk to your siblings, but you're really excited to get to your room. You get into your room, and and you're pretty excited to be there, but you can't wait to go to sleep. And you go to sleep, you sleep all night, and you wake up in the morning, and you open up your Bible and pour over it for hours. Uh, Maybe that's unrealistic. But my goal is to create in you a desire to get into God's Word. And to do that tonight, I just want to look at how Scripture talks about Scripture. Or if you're taking notes, we're going to look at how Scripture pictures Scripture. This is one of my favorite topics to meditate on. And matter of fact, if, if you wanted to take every one of these points and kind of study it for the next week and a half or so, that'd be a great way to think about the Bible. How does the Bible 
um, think about the Bible. So let's get into it tonight. Um, it's going to be very, very simple. But before we do, we need to remember that nothing happens here unless the Spirit of God enables our heart to desire God's Word. So let's pray really quickly. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you that we can gather together again. I pray that you'd give us all attentive minds, but also open hearts to hunger after your word even this night. I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so our first picture, our first picture that Scripture uses to talk about Scripture is this. God's word is like, and this is going to be the structure of all my points, God's word is like a light. God's word is like a light. Are you afraid of the dark? Raise your hand. I'm afraid of the dark. You know why I'm afraid of the dark? It's because I've got little girls in my house that like to leave little toys all around my house. I'm, I'm afraid of the dark. I'm, I'm afraid of the dark because, you know, you're walking through the dark and you're not really sure and your mind starts playing tricks on you, right? I was sure that door was right there. I was sure I was sure that cup was right there, and it's not. It plays tricks on you. One time, when I was in college, I was walking down the stairs in my house, and I slipped because the light was really low. And 6.30 in the morning, here's David walking down the steps. Whoop! Darkness plays, plays tricks on me. I do not feel comfortable walking through a room that is dark. Turn with me to Psalm 119. I'm going to try to not have too many cross-references, but just a few to kind of see how Scripture talks about Scripture. Psalm 119, verses 105, says this. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So a lamp, it probably emits a small amount of light, and it's just for your feet, so you can see the next step. That's what I want when I'm walking through my house. I want a lamp for my feet so I don't get snared or trip or stumble. And then he uses the word light. It's like daylight. Your word is like daylight to me, right? What's the difference between walking through a forest in the middle of the night versus walking through a forest in the middle of daylight? Well, you're, you're actually walking through that forest. That's the difference, right? You don't walk through a forest in the middle of the night. If you're like me, I, I'm a baby, apparently. Uh, God's word is like a light, here it is, that leads. So, with every point, I'm going to tell you how, it, how God's word pictures God's word, and then I'm going to kind of give you an, uh, like, like an assertion about that point. So, God's word is like a light that leads. Now, notice, it's, God's word doesn't lead you to maybe make the right career choice so you can make lots and lots of money. God's word leads you so that you can make wise choices, avoid sin, not get tangled with the wrong crowd. That's how God's word leads you. For example, verse 104, right before that, um, through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every evil way. Uh, 110, the wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. God's word gives you understanding, gives you a light for your feet, so you do not stumble, so that you won't sin, so that you can flee from sin. Or as it says all the way at the beginning of this psalm, Psalm 119, verse 11, I have stored up your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
Do you want God's Word to guide you, to lead you? That's what God's Word does. Another picture of how Scripture pictures Scripture, God's Word is like a sword. God's Word is like a sword. Who can guess what verse this is from? Anybody? Anybody? Nobody? All right, I won't embarrass you. Uh, Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6. And, and this is kind of the armor of God passage. It says in verses 10, Finally be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and in this present darkness. And then down there in verse 17, after going through this list of armor, he says, take up the helmet of salvation, and then here's our, here's our phrase, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Notice, you probably already noticed this, but the sword is the only piece of the believer's armor that is offensive. You go on the attack with this, right? The best defense, as we say in Axis and Allies, is a good offense, right? The best defense is a good offense. And notice what gives the sword, the Word of God, its power. It is not just you thinking about it. It's not just you um, even meditating on it. What is it? It's, it's connection with the Holy Spirit. It is the sword of the Spirit. It is the Spirit that convicts through the Word of God. There's another cross-reference. You can write it down and read it later. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5 talks about how the weapons of our warfare, they are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. What's a stronghold? Well, it says in verse 5, their arguments, their lofty opinions raised against God and who He is. Uh, Basically, God's Word fights against wrong thinking about God, both in the people around you and in yourself. Right? That's what God's Word does. And then he goes on to say, we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So with the sword, it's like you're a conquering army. And you're not out really ultimately conquering other people. You're conquering your own heart. The, the categories of your mind, the parts of your brain that you have not brought to obedience to Christ. That's what God's Word does as a sword. It is a sword that, here's the, here's the word, conquers. The Word of God is like a sword that conquers. It says, Acts 6-7, it, it talks about the Word of God like it's an army, like it's a conquering army. It's increasing. It's multiplying. It's, it's going out. It's making converts. It's convincing people of the knowledge of Christ and bringing them to obedience. So the question is, is the Word of God invading your life? Is it conquering new territory in your mind and in your heart? Or is it not? That's what the Word of God is meant to do. It is like a sword. Another picture, another picture of how Scripture pictures Scripture is the Word of God is like a mirror. How many of you really love mirrors. Raise hands. Don't be shy. I, I myself do not love the mirror as much as I should. At least that's what my wife would tell me. 
Um, some of you probably could perfectly reconstruct your face. If I was to take one of those, you know, Snapchat filters and morph it all around, some of you know your face so well that you, it's actually been a, a proven study that they've done, really, believe me, uh, that you could bend and mold and flatten and twist and push your face exactly back to the way it is because you know your face so well. That's how we are as humans. We don't like to walk. I don't even like to walk out on, in the street knowing that there's a big gash on my forehead or a zit on my cheek, right? We know our face well. Some of us, not as well as we should, but hey, it's, it's a sanctifying process. We need to look at the mirror in the morning. Uh, a few things to note. Let's turn over to James. James 1. Some of you are there. James 1, verses 22. Turn in your Bibles. We're going to have another one shortly, right from James as well. James 1, 22. I'm going to read a, a passage here. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently. Notice he's not just, just, he's not just glancing. He's looking intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So here we go. The word of God is like a mirror. Notice just a few few things to explain this passage. Notice the Christian is characterized as someone, not just with a list of do's and don'ts, but the Christian is characterized, verse 22, as someone who is a doer. That is what it means to be a Christian. You are a doer of some sort of law. You're not under the, the Mosaic law, no, but you're under a new law, a law of liberty, this passage talks about. That is probably the law uh, of the gospel, the law of Christ, right? That you were delivered from the domain of darkness, that you once were a slave of sin, and now, as it says in Romans 6.18, you have become a slave of righteousness. You are now under the law of Christ, and you are a doer, a joyful doer, under the law of Christ. And, and notice there, verse 23 through verse 24, he makes an argument through this illustration, and basically it's asking a question. Uh, does anybody look at a mirror and forget how they looked? No, that doesn't happen. This is someone who is truly a believer. They remember. A, a believer cannot say that they look at the Bible, look intently at the Bible, and then just walk away like it doesn't matter. When you read the Bible, you read a mirror of yourself. You read a mirror of what Christ wants you to conform to. That is his image. And you must change, right? Just like if you see something on your face, you, that causes you to do something. A believer, someone who really looks at God's word, is a doer. There is no such thing as a believer who is not a doer. That's what James is talking about. God's word is like a mirror in that it commands, right? It calls you to do something. And because you see what God's word says, you must change. You cannot be indifferent towards sin in your life, right? Because you see yourself through God's word. Notice just really quick, this isn't just self-improvement. This is, according to Ephesians 4, 23, looking at the image of Christ and saying, I am called to conform to Christ. 
God's word is like a mirror in that it commands you, it calls you. And because we're in James, let's look at another picture in James over in verse 21. Um, Therefore, James says this, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Another picture of how scripture pictures scripture. God's word is like a seed, like a seed. Any of you plant uh, seeds, do you like to garden? Then you might understand this. It may be small, it may seem insignificant, but inside that little tiny seed is all the plant needs to start. Just add water, of course. But inside that seed, all it needs to be is planted and it will grow. Or think about it like this. God's word is like a seed in that it takes root in your life. It takes root in your life and it produces fruit. That is what God's word is in your life. Obviously, it requires it requires repentance, right? You've got to do a little gardening, a little tilling. Notice what he says there in that verse, put away all filthiness, all rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness or humility the implanted word. You can't just live the way you're always living and receive this word. This word comes into your heart through a heart that has been uh, opened up and repented. Uh, God's word also produces fruit, just like a plant. This fruit is probably repentance or faith, right? Faith in Jesus. That is, that is the, the plant that is taking root in your life. And that is what saves you, according to this verse. It also produces obedience. Obedience. Uh, I, I like the verse there in verse 17, just a little bit ahead of this, kind of similar thought. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. And here's another uh, kind of planting metaphor, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. God's word goes into your life, it takes root, and it causes fruit to happen, and you are the first fruits of his creation. Or think about it this way, think about it this way, uh, we are, so to speak, sneak peeks or, or first looks at the way God's world is going to be in the millennial kingdom. We're not perfect by any means, but we are the first fruits of his redemptive program because God's word has taken root in our life and it changes you, it transforms you because it cannot be removed. Another picture, but a similar idea that I really like, turn over to 1 Peter 2, uh, one, First Peter two one, just a little bit to the right in your Bibles. First Peter two one, God's word is pictured for us like milk. God's word is pictured for us like milk. He says this in First Peter two one and two. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long. For the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So, very similar to James, right? Hey, if, if you want to long for God's word, you've got to remove things from your life. If you have malice, that is anger. If you have deceit, a lying tongue. If you have hypocrisy, if you like putting on a mask in front of other people. If you have a problem with envy. If you like to slander other people or make fun of other people. God's word will be hindered in producing change or growth in your life. 
But notice what, what it is. The, the picture here of God's word is, hey, it's like milk. And not just any kind of milk. Not like the milk I had this morning on my delicious, delicious cereal. It is like a mother's milk. And uh, not speaking as one, but speaking to someone who is, who is currently nursing a child, a, a mother's milk is incredibly powerful in the life of a child. Did you know that a child doesn't need anything else? This blew me away when I was a first-time father. Call me naive, whatever. But I was like, what? No water? No nothing? No, just milk. That's all the baby needs to grow. Matter of fact, it's very interesting. Uh, mother's milk is all the baby also knows, but it's all the baby needs, and it's all the baby really wants, if we're going to be totally honest. The baby doesn't care about sleep, really. It just wants milk. The baby doesn't care about the blinds in the baby room or the colors on the wall. No, the baby just wants milk. The baby doesn't really care if I hold it or not. No, the baby actually just wants milk. Am I right, Connie? Yeah, exactly. Proof. Uh, the baby just wants milk. And you know what that desire for milk, that God-given desire in that little baby produces? Amazing growth. Amazing growth. I feel like in, uh, a child in their first year grows more than any other part of their life. That's just from my limited experience. It is a great time of growth because of its great appetite for its mother's milk, right? God's word is like a mother's milk in that it grows you. It grows you. Do you want to have some exponential, amazing, out of this world spiritual growth this summer? Then you need to get into God's word, right? You, you need to say to yourself, hey, if I, if I if I don't get into God's word, I am not having breakfast in the morning. You need to say to yourself, hey, I am not going to sleep at night until I get into God's word. You need to commit to yourself, hey, no phone if I don't open my Bible. I want to grow this summer. That is how spiritual growth happens. God's word is like milk. Another picture of how uh, scripture pictures scripture. God's word is like Water. Turn over to Psalm 1. God's word is like water. This is one of my favorite psalms. Psalm 1, it talks about the man who is blessed, right? He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. But what? His delight is in the law of the Lord. The word for delight means that that's what captures his eyes. He is like a young man in love, and he is in love with God's Word. He can't stop reading it. He's pouring over it. What did she say to me today? That is the delight of this man. Notice what he is like. He is like a tree. But notice, God's Word is not like a tree. God's Word is like the water in this metaphor. Uh, God... God he is like a tree, it says in verse 3, planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf doesn't wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And then the wicked are not so. Hey, this is what God's word is. The difference between this tree and all the other trees in the forest is they're not planted next to the water. And what is the difference? Well, the, the difference is that this tree is fruitful in its season 
in every area of its life, it is prospering, even if it's not currently producing uh, fruit, and it, it, it is not withering. Why? Because it is close to a water source. If you go to my backyard, you will see a tree with roots sticking out of the ground. Why is that happening? Well, because there's not a deep water underneath the tree. So the tree is desperate for water. It needs water because water is where the life comes from. So the, the roots have come out of the ground to try to find any water they can from the sprinkler. So a tree desperately needs water and it will do whatever it needs to to get to that water, including breaking houses, ripping up concrete like the tree in my front yard, uh, and all these other things to get to that water because that is the life source. Without water, you will die and become like chaff, which is consequently what verse 4 is talking about. God's word is like water, in that it causes you to prosper. It causes all that you do to prosper. Why would you not want to get into it? It causes you to prosper. Another picture of how Scripture pictures Scripture. I really like this one. Turn over to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, we see that God's Word is like rain and snow. God's Word is like rain and snow. And you understand this metaphor because you do not live in Minnesota like I do, or did. Uh, you understand this because you are from California, where the snow means something. It's not just something that we plow to the side and hope melts someday. No, the snow is a good thing. When I see snow on those hills over there, I'm excited. Why? Because winter camp is going to be really cool this year, right? That's what snow means. That's all it means. No, and it also means, right, uh, Russell, that there's a snowpack forming, and that means the water will slowly trickle down all spring long and summer long. And when there's a water pack and when there's rain like that, that means the, the crops will grow well, and that means we'll have water, and that, 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 that means we'll have a bountiful harvest, right? That is what snow and rain is like. And this is the metaphor Isaiah paints here in verses 10 of Isaiah 55. For as the rain and the snow come down, from heaven and do not return there but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater so here it is verse 11 so shall my word be that um, my word be that goes out from my mouth it shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it why do you want God's word in your life? Well, because God says, my word is like snow and rain and it will succeed. That is the power of God's word. It will produce the thing God wants to accomplish in your life. Did you know that God tells you what he wants to accomplish in your life? He wants you to grow in spiritual maturity and his word will do that if you get into it. Look at that. God's word is like rain and snow, like that. Another one, God's word is like a last will and testament. God's word is like a last will and testament. Turn over to Psalm 119, verses 111, and picture this. You are a child, 
Not very hard to picture. But picture this, perhaps, a little bit harder to picture. You are an only child. And picture this. You are the only child of Bill Gates. You're sitting pretty happy right now. Of course, yeah, you're sitting pretty happy right now. He's still like, even if he's like, even if he's the hundredth wealthiest man in the world, you're still sitting pretty good. Uh, You are the only child of Bill Gates, and he has just written his will. How are you going to read that document? Are you going to kind of peruse it? You know, if I've got some time, maybe later next year, I'll look over it. You know, just skim through it. I'll read the Sparks Notes edition of it. You know, I'll let somebody else read it. You know, you know you're not going to do that, right? You are going to read every single line, right? You are going to have your lawyer read every single line and tell you how much money you're going to get, right? Well, maybe you're not that heartless. That's basically saying, Dad, I hope you're dead. But you're going to get really excited about this testament this will and that's what david actually says about god's word psalm 119 111 says this your testimonies are my heritage or my inheritance forever for they are the joy of my heart how how is how is god's word your inheritance your heritage forever god's word not only just tells you what you're going to get in the future God's word is telling you all about the God you have presently in your life and can enjoy forever. So that's why David says, your word is what, what, uh, uh, her- my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. Just like that person that would read through that will and testament. Oh, how much better it is to read God's word. This is the God I have. This is the God I get to be with forever. Now, uh, when we think about it that way, God's word is incredibly good news, right? Wow. A testament, a heritage, water so I can grow spiritually. I mean, oh, that's great. God's word is great. God's word is great news, except when it's not great news. Because God's word also says other things about us, right? It says things like in Romans 3, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And because of this, Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? Wrath? Judgment? This is not good news, right? And that's why I want to give you one final, one final picture. We've seen that God's word is like a light that leads, a sword that defeats, a mirror that commands, a sword that takes root, Uh, A mother's milk that matures, uh, water that prospers, rain and snow that succeeds, a last will that delights. And finally, God's word is like medicine that heals. Medicine that heals. It tells you your problem, but then it gives you a solution to heal you. And let's go to to, uh, Proverbs 4. Proverbs 4, verse 20 says, says this. 
My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them. And healing to all their flesh. God's word provides you with a way to come to God. And look at this. It gives you healing to all your flesh. By the way, some people, (coughs) excuse me, some people would take uh, this verse and take another verse like it, 1 Peter 2, 24, which says, by your wounds we are healed. And they would say, hey, a crucial part of the gospel is that I am going to be healed from all of my weaknesses, right? And, and a crucial part of the gospel is that we're, we're going to see justice all over the world. The world's going to be healed. I'm going to be healed. No problems are going to happen anymore. So some people take the verse that way. And do you know what? I agree with them. Sort of. Yes, in one sense, that is what those verses are talking about. But it's not talking about a life here and a life now. It, it, could, it could happen in this life, but not all the time. But we all know, we who embrace Christ by faith, in the, in the millennial kingdom, in the eternal state, We will have new bodies that will never grow old or faint or weak. We will be fully healed. And we know that in Christ's kingdom, there will be perfect righteousness everywhere. We we know that. And and so that's what it means. But it could also, it could also, it could also mean that, yeah, in, in some sense, yes. If you submit your life to God's word, you know what? Your life could be more healthy. The Bible talks about being a glutton as a bad thing. If you stop being a glutton, you'll probably live longer. Uh, the Bible creates kingdom citizens, right? Kingdom citizens who love justice, who, who seek mercy. Yeah, but, but that's not where we're, we're aiming for. Uh, so yes, in some way, some way that is true. But there are other reasons why I disagree. A few reasons why I disagree. Well, one, this is wisdom literature. It's not making promises. It's making predictions, right? We talked about that in Sunday school a few weeks back. And then here in that first Peter passage, talking about all your wounds being healed. I don't know if you know this about the context of first Peter, but it's talking about, hey, if you're going to be a Christian, your life is going to stink. People are going to hate you. People are going to persecute you. So the Bible isn't making promises in the gospel that, hey, your life right now is going to be better. Oh, but the gospel is saying it could, it could impact your life right now. But you know what? If your life has truly been transformed by the gospel, whether this life is good or this life is bad, it doesn't matter because you know Jesus and your eternal destiny, your eternal destiny is secure. I like 1 Timothy 4.8. It says this, kind of talking about the, the, the actual practical nature of the Word of God, even in our life today. Well, bodily training is of some value. Godliness, which is what the Scripture produces, is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life, yes, and also for the life to come. So, here's the Word of God. Here's the Word of God. 
Uh, it reminds me of what the disciples said to Jesus when he said, are you going to leave me too? My words are very difficult. Well, what did Jesus say in John six sixty eight? The, the, or sorry, what did the disciples say? They said, Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. This is your Bible. The Bible you get to go home to tonight. And you get to open every single day. Will you do it? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for giving us this time to think about your word. I pray that you would bless this evening through small groups. I pray that um, students wouldn't be afraid to share, afraid to talk, but they'd be welcomed into their new groups. I pray that you would bless the speaking of this message. I pray that um, your word would even sink into our hearts and, and produce a change in our heart towards your word. I pray this in your name. Amen.